Hey, true crime friends. I'm Danny. And I'm Brenna. And, and this is Lago Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Bryn, we're back again. So excited that we did our first two episodes of this season. We would love, love, love to hear your feedback. And don't forget those case suggestions. We take them all year long, all day long, (laughs) every day. So send them our way. And we'd love to hear what cases you guys want us to dive in and digest and kind of give you guys feedback after that too. Absolutely. Y'all sent in some good ones last year, so keep them coming. Yeah, we love that. And I mean, again, we just appreciate y'all's support. This is something we love to do, and it's just nice to have a group of LGS fans that will love to do it with us too. Absolutely. Okay, so the story I'm going to tell you today will come with a trigger warning. Today's case deals with topics such as attempted suicide, children's death, and mental illness. Please be advised before listening as some of the details in this case will be hard to hear. With that said, let's set the scene and take it back to June 2001. The Yates were one that you would call a quote-unquote perfect couple. Andrea and Russell met in a complex that they both lived in in Houston, Texas. Andrea was a nursing school student at the time while Russell worked at NASA as an engineer. The two hit it off and were quickly married in April of 1993. Andrea was a devoted wife, and Russell was an attentive husband. Many would comment about how in love the couple was. The two had very strong faith values and had deep roots in their religion. When it came to the decision of having children, the two would say often that they would have as many kids as God would give them. This would be exactly what they would do. As Andrea was one of five siblings, she would have five of her own children. All seemed to be perfect from the outside looking in. Andrea was determined to be perfect at everything. This is how she had been since a young age. She strived to achieve goals such as valedictorian and swim team captain, and she'd push for the same excellence as a mother. Her first son was born in 1994. She used cloth diapers, breastfed each of her children just to prove her worth as a mother. Those around her would say that she was determined to be excellent, loving, and a nurturing mom. Yeah, I mean, sounds perfect, Um, (laughs) but I know how these things go. Yeah, whenever we start with everyone thought they were perfect, so in love, you know. I mean, it's it's terrible to say, but like you never know what you're looking at and who you're looking at. So it's just... Well, and then everybody has their problems to a certain extent. Exactly. Like nothing is ever perfect, even if you're looking at the other person. They have their problems. They have their difficulties. Nothing is ever perfect, and if all the time that's just the conversation everyone's having, there's a reason to be a little suspect. For sure. On June 20th, 2001, that would not be the case, though. That day, Andrea called 911 to explain something had happened to all five of her children, and she needed someone to come and help. After that call, she would call her husband and explain something bad happened to the children, and he needed to come home as quickly as possible. This confusing situation became very clear after police officers walked into a horrific scene at the Yates household. Andrea herself had drowned all five of her children one by one. The four youngest were lined up side by side on the bed, and the oldest was found face down in the bathtub. There was also evidence that one of the children tried to escape this terrible fate and ran off, and was dragged back to the tub to ultimately meet their end. Oh my god, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. The Yates children's name and ages from youngest to oldest were Noah, 7, John, 5, 
Paul, three, Luke, two, and Mary, their only girl, was just six months old. Their father held a funeral service in their honor. As you can imagine, this was a somber and horrific day for their loved ones. Their father spoke to all four boys and told a story about his only daughter, Mary, was so small that her feet would get stuck in the holes of a crocheted blanket that was given to her after birth. As you can imagine, the entire group lost it. Oh, yeah, they were so young. But going back, I know you said mom did it, but was I'm sure you're going to get there. Was she already arrested? Like, did she say, okay, I drowned them all? Or did she try and lie and say, like, freak accident? No, right away, she was the one that called the police and she let them know that she did this to them. Um, She called her husband, let him know he needed to come home because she did something to the kids. Like, she was... She was the one calling the police, and she was the one letting everyone know that she did this. So she to was fully aware. Yeah. Okay. Now, how did this happen? I'm sure you are all wondering, as I did the first time I heard this case. As I mentioned earlier, the Yates were very religious, but that doesn't even give justice to how extreme they were. The Yates followed the practice of a Christian preacher, Michael Warnecke. His practices are more unconventional than other preachers. He delivers his message with a lot of yelling and intensity. They fell into Michael Warnecke's teaching and started to follow the same lifestyle as they did. In 1997, the Yates decided to move out of their home and into a trailer to follow the Warneckes with baby number three on the way. After Paul was born, Andrea started to exchange letters with Michael Warnecke's wife. The letters detailed out how she thought Andrea was not holy enough and needed to be a better wife and mother. She would also detail how the Yates lived in sin and they were all going to hell. Whoa, wait, okay. Back up. I'm confused. <laughs> this is a lot of names. So Andrea is the preacher's wife? No, no, no. So Andrea is the mother. Oh, okay. That drowned all five of her children. Oh. Michael Warnecke is the preacher that they followed, and mm-hmm. she was exchanging letters with her after baby number three, Paul, was born when they moved into the trailer to follow them I and their practices. See. Was it like an actual trailer like they can move around yeah so they lived in a a trailer park yeah he's a big so michael warnecke he's big into like movement of cross to deliver his message everywhere Mm. so that's why they want it to be mobile and couldn't stay at home okay this is giving me true detective season one vibes (laughs) did you see that (laughs) all the abandoned like travel churches oh goodness but same concept yes they definitely traveled around followed him to be like his lifestyle, what they were doing, because they felt that he was the epitome of what they should be as a family and their core values. Gotcha. Andrea would explain how she was a bad mother because her children wouldn't listen to their grandma and make up silly names for people they knew. Very common behaviors for children, Andrea would spiral out how her kids were unholy and sinners. She believed her children were not accountable for their actions until they were the age of 10. So their actions as they got older added to the stress of being an unfit mother. From the trailer park, the Yates bought the Warrenecke's family bus, and they moved into their new quote-unquote home. As you can see, the places they called home started to decrease in size, but the bus was not big enough for all of them to sleep in. The children would actually sleep in the luggage compartment every night. Wow. Okay. Yeah, going back to, like, those are very childlike behaviors, mm-hmm. and I know, I think it it is common as you get older to be like, oh, I would never do that as a kid, you know, but it was like... Do you really know? Like, yeah. yeah, I was probably like, yeah, you were a brat too. <laughs> like every every kid exactly. is going to have tantrums and 
Like, their brain isn't fully developed yet. They yeah. don't know how to control their emotions sometimes. No, it was really sad to watch her in an interview. Like, she would just say, oh, they would call so-and-so this. And it was just so unholy. Like, I couldn't handle it. And it, like, she's fully believing these dynamics. And it's so sad. It's like, every child makes up a silly name for their cat or dog or, yeah. or neighbor next door. Like, they just don't understand well, that and it's interesting that she thought okay like they were unholy like maybe like placing blame on the children rather than like okay I need to teach them well and that's why ways. it got intense because she was kind of both so she was like they're unholy but also I'm a terrible mom so like so she just kind of like it her would just self-esteem mm-hmm. would just keep dropping exactly As the space they lived in got smaller, Andrea's depression grew within her. She had struggled with depression and self-image issues most of her life. She was a very private person, but you would not know that something was wrong unless she told you. This formed into eating disorders and suicide thoughts as a young child. With her history of depression, it only got worse with these tight quarters and another baby on the way. So this is now baby number four. After baby number four, Andrea was actually hospitalized four times with psychotic behavior. Not a single doctor she had seen thought her actions were pre-planned or controllable by any means. Basically meaning her behavior was a serious psychotic break and there was no way she was faking it. It was worth mentioning that they brought to light several times in my findings that religious people are more likely to have religious delusions and lead to homicide than others. Bryn, what are your thoughts on that statement? It's a loaded statement, but... (laughs) I would agree to that. Um, I saw a quote one time, and I don't know the exact quote, but it was something like, if you have this fully deep religion of some higher power, but that higher power is supposedly telling you to do bad, that is one of like the most scariest people mm-hmm. because they have nothing to lose. Exactly. Yeah. So I would agree to that. Also going back to like tiny home living – I definitely isn't for everyone, especially with all those kids. And I think, well, and I don't want to assume her mindset, but I can kind of see her thinking like, okay, this is God's plan. Like we don't need these frivolous big spaces and all of these like fancy things. So why am I feeling like this? Yeah. And I can see that battle internally. Yeah, no, I think it definitely, this quote really stuck out for me and I thought it was worth mentioning because I feel like we see it more often than not. And a lot of our cases have tied to like really strict, firm religious backgrounds. And I mean, most Mm -hmm. people were either raised in a really strict religious household or some form of these religious cults. So it's worth mentioning to like kind of keep an eye out for those Mm -hmm. triggers and warnings. Because like you said, when someone is thinking this ultimate power of doing good is telling them to do these evil things, that just kind of pollutes the entire thought process Mm -hmm. and they're fully believing that they're doing good but Mm -hmm. it's bad yeah it's a whole yeah it's a whole thing thing. (laughs) in june of 1999 andrea tried to od and she was unable to control her mental state at this time one in ten women were diagnosed with postpartum depression these stats to current day are now one in eight gone untreated postpartum can have very severe side effects on someone's mental state The healthiest state currently is Maine at a percentage of 9.2, and the least healthiest state is Alabama with a percentage of 23.5. Bryn, will you please read the quote below from the CDC and give me your thoughts on this information I just stated above? Sure. 
Quote, a CDC study external icon shows that about 1 out of 10 women in the United States reported symptoms that suggest they experienced an episode of major depression in the last year. Using the Pregnancy Risk Assessment Monitoring System, or PRAMS, CDC research shows that nationally about 1 in 8 women experience symptoms of postpartum depression. Estimates of the number of women affected by postpartum depression differ by age and race slash ethnicity. Additionally, postpartum depression estimates vary by state and can be high as 1 in 5 women. In 2019, 13.4% of women were diagnosed with postpartum, end quote. Yeah, so that's really alarming. Mm-hmm. 23.5 in Alabama. Yeah. I mean, I knew postpartum was pretty common, but like n- until you see it on paper, like one in 10 the and numbers. now we jumped up to one in eight. That's really scary that we're not talking more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, it would seem like it would be a no brainer because there's just so much, you have the hormones of pregnancy and then no longer you're just like in a second you're no longer pregnant there's so many hormones there's so many adjustments so many changes yeah no sleep and you know like there's so many adjustments that you would have Mm -hmm. to make and not only are you concerned about your yourself and other people now you're trying to keep this little thing alive and exactly like very traumatic experience to have that little thing I mean, it's just crazy that I I could not believe that some places are as high as one in five and it's not something that's more commonly exposed or we're comfortable talking about. Yeah, I mean, even in 2022, and this was 1999, so it was definitely not talked about then. Exactly. In July of 1999, less than two weeks later, she tried to kill herself again with a kitchen knife. Russell was able to intervene and stop the attempt. She said the attempt was to stop herself from killing or harming the children. After the second attempt, she was hospitalized again. Her doctor for this day, Dr. Starbranch, stated that Andrea was one of the sickest patients she had ever seen. Andrea was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis, which left untreated has a 4% risk that the baby will be harmed or killed by its mother. Andrew was placed on an antipsychotic medication called Hadal, and she started to come back to her reality and started to function once again normally. Russell wanted to alleviate additional triggers for her and bought a three-bed, two-bath home in the Clear Lake area. All was back to normal for the Yates. Andrea was strongly advised not to have any more children, as it would trigger another psychotic episode. But shortly after hearing this, the couple was once again pregnant. And I do want to reiterate that it wasn't like could, it was very much like this will trigger mm. another psychotic episode. Yeah, it was like those hormones will do that to you. Mm-hmm. Especially with how deep in the rabbit hole she got. Like for her to mention that she was one of the sickest patients she'd ever seen, like they really pushed and enforced like you should not have any children. But it goes back to my original statement. They were very much into having as many children as God was going to give them. So they didn't believe in birth control. Yes. Basically. For sure. And I mean, regardless of what they were being told, whether that was mental health wise or not, they still had a stronger belief that, okay, if this really is true, God won't give me another child instead Mm. of, hey, we shouldn't have another child. He won't give me what I can't handle. Exactly. 
Shortly after Mary was born, Andrea's father passed away from poor health. This struck Andrea right away as she was extremely close to her father. The change in her demeanor and mental state happened almost immediately. She was hospitalized again in March of 2001. This time she would see a different doctor as they had moved to the Clear Lake area after purchasing their home. Dr. Saeed treated her with an antidepressant and an antipsychotic to try to get her back on track. Andrew and her follow-up appointments would complain that the antipsychotic was causing major side effects, but failed to mention that she was also struggling with psychotic thoughts, so Dr. Saeed pulled her off the medication. Her last appointment, her husband wrestled begged the doctor to put her back on an antipsychotic, as her behavior had not improved, but ultimately he was denied. This was just two days before the murders, June 18, 2001. So I do think the doctor had some responsibility there. I don't think he's fully responsible, but a question on that, did he not know about her previous, what was the medication called that she was on previously? It seemed to work. Yeah, before she had another. Um, she, he did. He had all of access to all of her medical records, but it was a different doctor that had treated her originally. And I know like, again, you do hold him accountable, but only to some extent because it's like every doctor has different practices and it's set up that way for a reason. But like when you see that this woman was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis, like that is so rare mm-hmm. just in the form and know how severe, I mean, with any percentage of risk of harming or killing a child, like I would take that very, very seriously. Absolutely. Well, that and like, even if she didn't say, okay, I'm having these bad thoughts, you know, they always ask, the doctors would ask, you know, are you having thoughts about hurting yourself or others? Even if she said, no, I'm having none of those negative thoughts, like I'm fine. You would think he would still have to consider other aspects. Yeah. To me, I thought it was really interesting that they kind of just went off of like, hey, I'm having these side effects and I'm not having any of these thoughts. Even if she did say that or if he didn't ask the question, regardless of the situation, her history was super extreme of like, I'm trying to commit suicide to not hurt my own children. I would take that in a stronger consideration than the side effects. Because you never know. Like she could have said, hey, I need to just get off this medication. I'm going to tell him whatever he wants. Mm. Or could say like, hey, I'm not having these effects when she really is as like her mind is telling her like hey don't let them know what's going on because he's just trying to hurt you you never know yeah you never know so i thought that was really interesting that they didn't note that and it was kind of considered higher than her history yeah well and i'm also wondering is this like a family doctor is this a psychologist do you know or did they say it was a psychiatrist um it wasn't like just like their family doctor or anything mm. it was somebody who was specialized and certified in that area but the reason for the change of their original doctor was again because they moved yeah I'm wondering how often also you would think it would be almost like on a weekly basis because I mean I'm no expert but you would think like people have good days and bad days no matter what um especially struggling with this you would think you'd want to make sure okay She's not just having a good day or this isn't just like a terrible day because we also know that, you know, a lot of women aren't believed when it comes into the medical field. So you can't dismiss or just rule it out by one visit. Yeah. So I know this was over multiple visits, at least more than one, because her first hospitalization was in March and her last visit before she committed those acts was June. Mm -hmm. So that's over several months. 
in between that, how many times she was seeing or visiting him, I'm not sure. But at least that is enough time for you to kind of test out a medication, see how you're reacting to it, switch and make changes as needed. But again, I still go back to Russell. Her husband was like begging him. Well, and he sees her every exactly. day. Exactly. Like he sees hour. and he's seen her at her lowest to lows and fully recover mm-hmm. and then back to the same situation. Yeah. So at the time of Andrea's trial in Texas, over 75% of insanity pleads were declined. On February 18th, 2002, Andrea's trial began. This trial was pivotal as people actually learned about mental health and mental illness because of this case, as Andrea's team was seeking the insanity plea and the defense was seeking the death penalty. Andrea would meet with Dr. Dietz for about 10 to 20 hours for him to evaluate her before trial. Now, Dr. Dietz was also an advisor for the show Law & Order. You know anything about that one? Oh, (laughs) shoot, girl. Yeah. And when Dr. Dietz took the stand, he mentioned that during his session with Andrea, she had mentioned that she had seen the show Law & Order. He continued on stating that he had advised on an episode that laid out a case just like Andrea's, a mother who had a psychotic break and drowned all her children in escape. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised, especially in Texas. Um, I actually thought 75% 75% was kind of low. I thought okay, it would be I, higher. Okay, I did too. I was actually really shocked for that 25 because, like you know, they're, they're intense here. Like, mm-hmm. they go for blood. They're not playing around. Like, mm-hmm. Well, that, is, and I think the, like, instant reaction of, like, oh, somebody's going to plead insanity is that they're not going to get punished at all. They're yeah, just going to walk it's free. Yeah, it's not true. It is not true. It's a different set of punishments. And I wouldn't even say punishments. It's a different set of treatments. Help, yeah. And help. Because you cannot put a psychotic person in prison that will exacerbate the situation mm-hmm. and Especially make that all... place unsafe as well. Yeah. And for herself either because I can easily see something happening. You know, maybe she has an episode and then they're like, okay, you're not listening to us. Throw her into solitary confinement. And then that would just make it worse. You know, mm-hmm. literally that is like you on your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So prison would definitely not be the right place for her, but that doesn't mean that she's just going to live out a free life. Yeah. Also, ugh, it's so weird for me to be saying because I am so like women's choice, but like I think someone needs to prevent her from having kids. Yeah. No, it, it definitely like if you're not going to – listen to those like it's a health thing yeah for you and, and I, I get what you're saying like we're not sitting here saying like oh cut her take, open yeah take, her take that out. choice away but at the same time it's like you're doing something that's super unsafe and it caused this situation like it you cannot be doing that yeah like your mental it's state a cannot medical handle condition. that yeah. yeah for sure no i agree and i mean i think it even goes back to changing the perception of insanity pleads like just the name in general kind of puts people on edge right like insanity Mm -hmm. that's not a term that you're always like oh yeah that comfortable yeah it it, that makes sense like whatever that's fine and it no it it sets you off like right away and then just sets the precedent of like oh they're just going to get away with whatever they just did because they're claiming they're insane it's like no Mm -hmm. if you don't take the proper procedures it can put everyone from the prison staff to the other people in prison to themselves in severe danger. And I Mm -hmm. think it's something that definitely needs to be considered more. I did try to look up like what the percentage 
was for Texas now. And I, it was just like the information was so convoluted. I was mm-hmm. like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able <laughs> yeah. to, to digest and figure this out. So if any of our listeners does want to go down that rabbit hole, let just us DM know. us. Let us know. I would love to hear that fact um, and see if it had gone down. I, I would assume it's still pretty high. Yeah. I would assume at least over 50% still. Well, going back into the different states, you know, how Alabama was very high. I, you know, it makes me wonder. It's like, what? What's going on with the mm-hmm. southern states? Oh, southern states are usually more religious. Yeah. So does that have? Is this just a... You know, it would be seen how or, they line up for sure. Yeah, I hope someone does some more research on that. Yeah. After hearing all sides of the case, the jury was able to reach a verdict in three minutes and 40 seconds. Guilty of capital murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison. I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> three minutes yes. and 40 seconds? I know, that's unacceptable. I couldn't. And I'm like, were y'all. Trying to go to the Guinness World's record book of like quickest verdict. Yeah. Like, because even regardless, I feel like if you're making a decision about someone's life that quickly, yeah. like at least go through your string board or, or, or do something. Yeah. You like, know, take a nap. Yeah. Sleep like, on it. Like, that's, I, when I read that, I was like, holy. I don't know if I'm thinking if it was like fictional and that it was like a TV show or something like that or if it was true crime because that's like all I watch but there was one that it was like an hour or something and they came back and the judge was like no. You have you to, need go to go back. back I, in there. I do remember hearing something about that too. I I do remember. Yeah, like that's unacceptable. One and it go was back. like no, go back. Like, yeah. And, and I would quick. be that person too like hey like let's remember this Excuse is a human being me. and like well especially like okay I can see after the whole trial especially after closing arguments I don't know who goes first if like prosecution ends or defense mm-hmm. ends but if it was like going out with a bang on prosecution was like she needs to die da, da, da. Yeah. and then they go back their their emotions are high and okay I can see everybody being like okay I agree but yeah like, like still like you can't make will, an emotional decision on something like that for on sure. someone's life yeah and it's literally. not what shocked me about this it wasn't that they were denying that she did it it was just what her mental state was at the time of her doing it and you can at least put that in some sort of consideration after hearing for her defense team to like go in and argue you know like yeah, it was it, that was too much for me and our guy from last episode got 20 years but she gets life, life in, prison. in prison i can't yeah. Russell stood by Andrea from the start of the trial. He was devastated when he heard the verdict, as he didn't even understand why she was put on trial as he felt this was a clear case of insanity. A reporter had the same thinking as Mr. Yates and started doing some digging on this so-called episode of Law & Order that Mr. Dietz had mentioned on the trial. As she was an avid watcher, like me and my girl Brenna, (laughs) and could not remember such an episode. It came to be that the episode Dr. Dietz mentioned actually never existed. He had mixed up shows in his mind and the case was deemed a mistrial and a retrial was set for June 26th, 2006. Wait, what? Yeah. So she, wait, hold on. But she went back and watched all... <laughs> no, I think she just read. I don't think she was. She I mean, just God. knew. I mean, back 2001, maybe it there's was like doable. SVU. There's yeah, like there's too much. So many. That's that's years, girl. That's true. We're in 2002. Yeah. It's not today. But wow. Okay. And it goes to show. It's like 
when this episode was like mentioned on trial her defense team was like whoa what the hell is happening we've never we didn't even know this was a thing Mm -hmm. we haven't heard about this this is basically like new evidence brought up and they were all freaking out they were like what is that and that would hurt her because exactly oh i watched the show and then so i'm sure a juror even the thought crossed their mind oh, well, if she saw the show, maybe she just premeditated this. And exactly. Like, say, And that's oh, an easy was. connection to make, especially for a jury to, like, you always want, like, the easiest connection of, like, what makes sense and how can I rationalize this? Because sometimes we talk about cases and there's no rationale. So any rationale you can attach yourself to, you're going to attach and hold that because most people want to understand why people did this. Yeah. And we look for the easiest, yeah, simplest, It's fastest. not always the case. And to me, this just fired me up because I'm like, sir, first off, it was your job to evaluate her mental state, not to go off on this tangent that you didn't even clarify or verify and just started speaking off cuff in trial. Yeah, what the heck? How is that even allowed or considered? Like, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, you're dabbling with someone's life. Do your freaking job and stay on topic. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. But I was so happy that she got a mistrial and had a retrial. This case's tone changed from child murderer to mental illness, and a new verdict was read on July 26, 2006. As you can see, it's only been a month of start to finish. A not guilty due to reason of insanity verdict was read. Bren, will you please read this quote from Russell Yates below? Sure. Quote, it's a delusion she probably wouldn't have had had she not met the Warneckies, end quote. Now, Michael denies that his teaching influenced Andrea by any means, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this, girl. Yeah, I mean, my first initial thought is, like, just the aggressiveness that I know you said that he preached with. Also, considering he probably preached on, like, women's fertility and, like, how Mm -hmm. a woman should be and da-da-da-da-da-da. I would say yes, but I'm interested, and I can probably go down that rabbit hole, too, of, like, just wanting to hear his own words yeah i know like when i was first diving into this like from start to finish of course like he has an official website and he comes off as this you know like great human being and i would love to kind of do a deep dive into him as well i don't know if i'll ever get that time back in my life yeah so i'm scared you know it's a twofold but they stated that he would start it out as like a street preacher like wearing masks and screaming in in mm, public but in disney yeah so like to me that already like gives me some uneasiness without knowing anything else mm-hmm. but i mean even without knowing more information just the pure fact that his wife and andrea were exchanging letters and the content was so intense as it was it's like how did you not see that you weren't playing a part in that? Yeah. Whether it was your wife or you, those were the practices and teachings and you knew how involved they were. Like they freaking bought your bus. Like mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, they're a follower, but I've never met them in my life. Yeah, like they were close to yeah. you. Well, that and it just goes back to he probably thought, oh, God is telling me this, this, and this and I need to preach with such aggression. Yeah. You know? So like he will never think he's doing something wrong because he thinks he's doing good yeah no i agree although russell and andrea are now divorced the two still keep in contact russell actually remarried and is now a father once again as for andrea she resides in kerrville state hospital in 2002 mental health america of greater houston and the yates children's memorial fund or ycmf was created and their mission is to quote 
raise awareness about postpartum illness for the benefit of the mother, child, and family, end quote. Through this, they were able to pass a mandatory screening for postpartum depression for mothers who give birth in the state of Texas. I think that's really good for them. I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think that a screening test, you know, the day of or day after giving birth might be, you know, is a step in the right direction. I don't think it's going to be a solution, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if there is fully a solution yet, but I know for sure how common it is. I don't know if you saw the movie, the Netflix Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Mm -mm. Okay, well, I don't want to ruin it. (laughs) But I could see it coming because especially recently, I don't know if it's just in my feed or we as a society are talking more about postpartum depression, but I have been like seeing more cases or hearing about um, the mothers that unfortunately kill their children or themselves because of postpartum depression. So it's for sure like fresh in my mind, but I just hope that we can continue taking the right steps forward. No, I agree. I definitely have started to see it. And I don't know if it's because you're getting older and the people around us are having babies and just talking about it more. Or if it's just something that's being known more that we need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I I definitely agree. I mean, most of the cases we cover, we don't have any solution, quote unquote. You know, like nothing's ever going to bring those those five sweet babies back and Mm -hmm. nothing's going to fix that. But at least there was something done to try to prevent this from happening again. And that doesn't happen with every case we cover. So it was kind of refreshing to see like, okay, we took this seriously and we're trying to take steps to make sure this never happens again. Of course, absolutely. To this day, Andrea waives her rights for her release date review, which really to me comes full circle of that she's understanding what she did and noting that, hey, I I don't know if I'm okay to ever see that. And it goes back to what we talked about of like, She's not in prison, but she's in a place where she can get better and knowing that she's even thinking about like, hey, I'm not going to ever have that opportunity again or or like, hey, maybe not ever, but like maybe this year I'm not okay to do that. So like you mentioned, she's not quote unquote being punished in prison, but there's still some restriction on what she can and cannot do. In 2012, she did petition to go to a church group weekly and that was denied. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's like those little things. She can't leave that hospital. She can't do any of those things. Like, yes, she's not in prison and she's not like hardcore being punished for that. But she still has restrictions on her life. She's still being monitored. There's a lot of things that she can't do right now. They they evaluated how that church messed with her psyche and were like, no, we're not we're not allowing you to pick a church group and allow you to do that. So although it's not the death penalty or life in prison, things like that, of what she was up for, she is still being restricted in what she can and cannot do for the better of her health and people around her. Absolutely. And if she did want to be released one day, she would, it would have to be approved by a board. Is that kind of what? So what I'm understanding is like your release date review comes up every whatever that may be. Cause you know, although you say like 20 years, you can get out with X amount served and good behavior, you know, all Mm -hmm. of the little things. So I would imagine like when those came up, there is an opportunity because life in prison doesn't always mean life in prison. But if she's yeah. waiving those rights, that opportunity is not even coming up. And this was the judge sentenced her, even though she was found not guilty. The judge says you'll be committed to the state hospital for however many years. Mm-hmm. I yeah. see. Okay. 
And with that, we conclude this episode. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave us a comment or review. If you have a case suggestion, reach out to us through our website, logostories.net. You can also check out all the source materials and help information from this episode while you're there. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at logostories. We will be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world. Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound nightmare for our theme music.